as we move through the Gospel of John, I have one question for you. The Gospel of John was written so that you might what? Believe. Let's do that together. The Gospel of John was written so that you might what? Believe. Believe. So this morning, this room is filled with two kinds of people. Niner fans. No. It's filled with two kinds of people. Those who believe and those who don't believe. And when we're talking about it, in context to what? In context to Jesus Christ. In context to knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. This morning, we have a bit of a challenge to work through. This is not a fun text. We're going to be in John 11. We're going to finish it up today. And we're going to start in verse 45. So you can turn there if you want. The title to today's sermon is Jesus, the Anti-Establishment Hero. I was thinking about, for just a brief moment, taking some pictures of those who lived through the 60s that are here today and putting them up on the screen, what they looked like in the 60s, and see if we had any real, true anti-establishment people. Let's just see if we kind of get a little bit of a nuance. Let's make sure that we track on this, if you're going to respond. Let's see if we get a little bit of the culture from the anti-establishment movement of the 60s. I'm going to say a quote, and you finish it off for me. And remember, if it's not... If it's even borderline, what comes to your mind, don't say it. Because what I'm thinking is fine in context. But here we go. The essential statement that came out of the 60s concerning anti-establishment that I remember and generations to come have held on to is stick it to the... See, I knew you guys would do well. Today... We flip it on its head because the man, Jesus Christ, the God-man, stuck it to the establishment. I have one question for you to wrestle with today. You ready? Jesus may have a whole bunch of others, but I have one question for you. Is Jesus a threat to your established way of life? Is Jesus a threat to your established way of life? Now, how you answer that right now may be different how you answer that in 20 minutes. Because we're very, very good at, especially if we've been in church for a while, we're very, very good at thinking, hey, we're, we're all about Jesus. Here's the interesting fact, is that those that we're about to look at, the central figures of the text today, the story, they thought they were all about God. They would have felt very comfortable in here this morning. And yet Jesus came and shook him to the bone to the point where they were willing to kill a man unrighteously and yet fulfill prophecy even though they believed they were totally in sync, in line with who God is. Some of those great heroes of, of our history, people like, and, and, and I'll just... I'll throw them out. Let's see if you guys get... Because it's a very interactive service. Let's see if you guys get the connection here. So I'll, I'll just name somebody. And, and you see if you... Let's see if we're in sync. So again, heroes who stood up against the established people of the day. Sir William Wallace is famous for saying what? <laughs> Thank you. Freedom. Braveheart. Anyone? 
Anyone? Yes. Freedom. Okay, let's, let's, all right. That was a warmer. That was a tester. Let me give you one more. Martin Luther. How did he work against the established powers? Yes, Dave. 95 Thesis on the Wittenberg door. Sorry, I'm out of golden tickets, but if I had one, you, you would get it. All right. Let's stay in that line of thinking. Martin Luther King Jr. Very good. What happened to your voice? There you go. So we're doing well. Lastly, and here's the bonus round, folks. Harry Potter. Nobody? Gene? Nothing? Yeah, me either. I was just trying to reach the younger generation. He spoke the name which was never to be what? Spoken. Yes. I don't know that I would lump Harry Potter in with those other three guys, but I just thought I would throw it out there. Let's turn to the text. This morning, again, the key question is, is Jesus a threat to your established way of life? He was to those that are about to be uh, revealed. We're going to go through verse 47 just to start. You ready? Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to see the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. Now we read the first two verses here last week. It's the tail end of the raising of Lazarus. There's an incredible miracle that's done. And the miracle is done to glorify God and also to bring glory to the Son as He who is established as the authority over mankind. There's just one challenge with that. You see, those who saw, those who were there, we see it at the beginning. It says, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what He did, what? Believed in Him. Well, they're moving away from somebody. And one of the, one of the aspects that I can paint the picture with here is that Jesus was on the ten most wanted list by the uh, by the pharisees by the high priest by the ruling religious class if you will and so they were always paying attention to where jesus was and when he came into town he'd already been threatened with his life three times that we've seen in the narrative so far in john so jesus is out in the desert region of judea lazarus is dying and mary and martha send for jesus and you remember the little debate that ensued the disciples said to him, no, 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 you can't go. If you go, you will be what? You'll be killed. And yet Jesus waits. He delays because it's within God's plan so that God would be glorified through the supernatural raising of Lazarus. Remember our point last week, dead is dead. And so Jesus does the incredible. He does the miraculous. And he goes up knowing. And interestingly enough, Thomas says what? He says, let us go so that we might die with him. Here's a little factoid. I don't go into this much because I don't know how much it grows us spiritually. But informationally, there's debates by those that are critics of Scripture. And they say, you know, John really shouldn't be in the canon. It's, it's authenticity, it's veracity is to be questioned. And one of the sightings that they use for that is this story. Because it's not found in the Synoptic Gospels. Here's one of the points that helps us understand that. How many times has Peter been mentioned in this story of Lazarus? None. 
Scholars believe that Peter, for whatever reason, had stayed back in the Galilee region. We don't know why. We don't even know for sure that that's what he did. But usually, in these narratives, who's speaking up? It's Peter. He is mysteriously missing in the storyline. Now, Mark was the first generic gospel that was written. Written from whose perspective? Peter's perspective. Much of Matthew and much of Luke borrow from Mark. John wrote his so that we might what? We might believe. The other three, the synoptics, weren't necessarily written that way. They were written as the accounts of Christ's ministry here on earth. So if Peter is not here at this time, suddenly Thomas becomes a spokesperson, right? Can't you just hear Peter saying, well, let's go up and die with him. That sounds very Peter-esque, but it came from Thomas. So, you know, as people try to attack the veracity of Scripture, there's something missing with their thought process. There's, There's things that can be easily explained with that. But here you have this challenge. And so this morning I'm going to give you three things. Number one. If you're writing things down, number one, establish the truth according to Jesus. That's where we start. The truth of what Jesus had done. uh, uh, John speaks to the end of this action that the Jews believed because of what Jesus had what? Because of what he'd done. Because of the raising of Lazarus. Now, the historicity of what's happening here fits in the concept of where I was going that Jesus had a bounty on his head. So Jesus is coming in. The Pharisees would have heard about it. Now coming up soon, we're going to hear about the arrest of Jesus in the garden. And many of you are familiar with that story. He was arrested by the guard of the high priest. The high priest had their own guard that operated as kind of a civil workforce to keep the peace within Temple Mount. And yet because they were part of the extension of the authority of the high priest, They were kind of his cronies. They were kind of his henchmen. And so while the text isn't explicit on this, it is implied that that's who the the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the council would have sent out to spy. And so when it says that there are those who then left that place and went back and reported, can you not see the connection? That would have been their job. There would have been rationale as to why they resisted what had happened. And yet you hear in their voice nervousness you hear in their voice nervousness because of the truth of what had happened they could not deny what they had seen yet they want to hold on to the power structure that they're part of suddenly the truth of that power structure is eroding away jesus is eroding away a false sandy bottom truth Jesus was a threat to their established truth. This morning, my question to you is the same. What truth do you espouse? What truth do you hold on to? What truth is established in your life? And do you resist Jesus because He is a threat to that? My challenge to you is to be honest about it. The gentlemen that we're seeing return back and say, What are we to do for this man performs many signs? They're blind. They're blind not to recognize the power of God around them. They're blinded by selfish ambition, aren't they? The truth of the response by the witnesses speaks for itself. They were there. They witnessed what Jesus did. And because of that, they what? They believed. 
they believed. You heard Fernando's witness today. You heard the truth of what he espoused. You and I cannot argue that truth. It's his experience. And yet, I think many of us get into this cultural um, passe response of, well, that's your truth. What does that even mean? But that's the soundbite that we throw out, isn't it? Well, well, that's your truth. Well, wait a minute. Somebody's life is radically changed into something that at one minute they don't want to have anything to do with. You heard his testimony. Jesus was a threat to Fernando's established truth. Praise God, right? Fernando could not deny the truth of what he was seeing happen around him. Fernando could not deny the truth of what was happening in his heart. And now there's a change. He's been resurrected, so to speak. And you and I, brothers and sisters, have that to contend with as truth. It is a threat to us if we want to just push off. The truth. What is our established truth? We need to look around, not like the guard of the Pharisees, but the simple common person that was there observing. Say, does Jesus do what He says He's going to do? Is His power real? Is His ability to transform life true? It's amazing how Jesus will change someone's established truth to be in line with His. Jesus is a threat. He's a threat to our pain. He's a threat to our selfishness. He's a threat to our foolishness. He's a threat to our blindness. He's a threat because He has the power to change the hardest heart. Let's continue on. Number two today is establish your motives according to Jesus. We're going to pick it up in verse 47. And it says this, So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that this is better for you, that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Now listen to these words that John writes. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Isn't that fascinating? That in Caiaphas' attempt to rein in that which was threatening his established power, His approach was to kill Christ. They knew they had no grounds for it. And so the council brings that up and Caiaphas says, don't you understand it's better for one man to die than the whole nation to go to rot? This is a prophecy directly out of the Old Testament. And who should have known this more than anyone? And yet Caiaphas' truth or his hunger, his established power has blinded Him. It has blinded Him. So from that day on, I'm sorry, uh, verse 52, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one 
the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. So our second point this morning, establish your motives according to Jesus. Jesus motivates you to action one way or the other. We can look back and we can see there were those who believed and followed Jesus. And there were those who went into plans to murder. You know, you and I can comfortably say, I hope. If you can't, you should counsel with one of our elders. Hopefully we can comfortably say nothing would provoke us to murder. (laughs) Alright? And yet, this group of religious authorities knew the law. They knew the law. And yet they conspired. They didn't just suggest, they even conspired that they would kill this person. What's their motivation? To hang on to power. What is it that would be your motivation? To be Caiaphas? Or to be Judas? I could keep going on and on and on. And folks, one of the things we have to wrestle with is we, we have to stop being myopic. We have to stop saying, well, you know, that's them, that's not me. I think for each of us, there's an area that we would hold on to that's our control. Let me substitute the word power for control. That's more common, isn't it? It's more palatable. That we have our little pockets that are established. And when somebody threatens that, we have a choice to either look at the truth of it, And that truth should be established by whom? By God. If we really want to get to the truth. In order to come in line with who God is. And what God wants for your life. And to participate in His very great and precious promises. We need to be in line with His truth. Amen? So what is it for me that says stumbling block? What is it that I say... Mm, this is an established thing for me and I'm just going to manipulate it rather than listen to Christ. So I'm comfortable with it. Now we're making it a little more relative to us, aren't we? And I've got a couple things that I think will help us understand. One of the ways you can know if you're doing this is just go back to the text. Those that believed, we'll see in a, in a, a couple weeks when we're in the house of Simon the leper, there was peace. There was worship. Those who believed have peace, have worship in their mind, have humility. Those who don't are struck against the power and the purpose of Christ and they feel the tension. They're blinded by anger. They're blinded by greed. They're blinded by foolishness. Let me give you a little precursor, shall I? We're in the house of Simon the leper and there's a gal, great gal. Her name's Mary. And she's got a sister. Her sister's doing the dishes and Mary is at Jesus' feet. And what's Mary doing? Mary knows because she said, Jesus, all you had to do is say the word and my brother Lazarus would raise from the dead. She saw what Jesus did. She knew what Jesus could do. And He is her Lord. 
Her truth is established by Him. Her motivation now is established by Jesus. Her motivation is in line with what Jesus wants. How do we know? Because she takes something that was of great value and she breaks it. And she anoints Jesus' feet with it. The picture of worship. She's, she's bowed before Him. She's worshiping. She has humility. She has peace. Even though she knows she's going to lose Him. She has peace. This is in stark contrast to the events that are now set in motion. Who else was there? Judas was. And what did Judas do? Judas was blinded by anger. John says. Judas was blinded by greed, John says. Folks, we're not talking about some uneducated hick from Outsideville. This is one of the inner circle guys. And it is this action that John says prompts Judas into the betrayal of Jesus Christ. Ask Judas back there in the Judean desert if he's with all the boys... Hey, Judas, you're heading up and you're going to get bent over something. You're probably already bent. You already have some sin that you're wrestling with about greed. But this is going to blow up. And it's going to get so bad, you're going to betray Christ and hand him over into the hands of the high priest to be crucified. What do you think Judas would have said? You're crazy. You're crazy. Many of us might be saying that today. Jesus says this about our motivation. You cannot follow me unless you take up your cross. Matthew 10, 34-38. Unless you deny your family. Now, I just heard something in the news about this where uh, a person had, uh, a gal had gone into one of these cults and the family went and tried to get her out and it caused this big problem. And uh, the news report said that when it came to family, they cited this verse saying that Jesus wants you to deny your family. Jesus wants you... That's not what this verse is saying. This verse is saying, my truth and my motivation has to be first in your life. Now, if your family is contrary to that and asks you to be contrary to that, you have a choice to make. What's your motivation? Is it your family? Your established resources? What is it? In my life... Probably one of the biggest challenges I ever faced was when the Lord clearly spoke to me seven and a half years ago and said, you're done with youth ministry. It's time to be over with. You're done after this summer. And I go home and I tell Janine, I said, if we do not retire from youth ministry, we will be in sin. That's how much I heard from God. So the big question is, well, what are we doing? I don't know. I don't have a clue. But I know His established truth, I had to pull in line with it. And He took care of me all the way down the line. All the way down the line. I have no regrets. Absolutely no regrets. Fernando shared with you his motivation. He shared with you where he had been, what the difficulties were. But he said, look, I saw what Jesus was doing in people's lives all around me. And so that drew me towards Christ. And then through one message and through another, it just became apparent this is what I need to fill that hole in my life. Then what did he say? And I want to share this with everyone. 
That's motivation. That's motivation. Jesus is a threat to your established motivation. And you'll be all the better for it. You'll be all the better for it. One of the challenges we have to take this out of this Palestine setting and put it into our setting. I don't know your personal life. I've, I've, I've given a couple of illustrations here. But let's just put it into the modern American church, shall we? You know, the church is kind of vastly. I'll hear reports of the church is going down. We're losing the millennials. And I heard, no, 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 the church is going up. And we've got better. It's just all over the place. But here's one thing that stands true over and over and over. Is that churches are filled with church hoppers. Right? Churches are filled with church hoppers. Because we can. We have a smorgasbord of churches. The evangelical hometown buffet of ecclesiology, if you will. And so if something about this place gets under your skin, guess what you can do? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying this, but, you know, I mean, you can leave. Right? If I had a dime for every time somebody left because they didn't like something I said, I'd be 30 cents richer. Yeah, some of you are still doing the math on that. <laughs> Folks, I came back this summer from some big challenges. Great summer. We've had an incredible summer of ministry here. An exhausting summer of ministry. But we've seen God do incredible things. Now the challenge is this. Is God behind it? Or is He not? Is Jesus at work? Or is He not? Because I'm going to say things that aren't going to resonate with all of you. You know, Lyndon's going to have a different preaching style from Hanny, and Hanny's going to have a different preaching style from Kara, and Kara's going to have a different preaching style from Sally as to how they learn. You realize the problem with that, right? You've got one communicator. And the challenge in all that is this. If, if we don't like the way the message is put out, what do we do? Well, I'll tell you the thing that's commonly said. And again, 30 cents. I'll get, a, I'll get a statement sometimes back. Sometimes I won't get anything back. But a parting shot across the bow often is phrased in this little colloquialism that we have taught one another for an excuse, if you will, to move on because it doesn't fit our established process of truth. So often what is said is, mm, you don't preach the whole counsel of God. When I hear that, if you're going to leave, don't say that. Because I'm just going to laugh. Because I can't... I, nobody even knows what that means. Alright? Tell me what set you off. Scripture says that love is to be sincere. That we're to honor one another. We're to lay down our lives for one another. We're to be unified. You're going to hear in John 17 about the high priestly prayer. Christ wants us to love one another. Colossians speaks about bearing with one another. That's what it means. And I'm going to say things that you don't understand. I'm going to say things that maybe just poke at your established truth. That's okay. But if I say something that's not biblical, that's not biblical truth, don't, no, we're not talking about the whole counsel of God. If it's not biblical, you come talk to me. 
That is desperately important to me. Because it has to be Jesus' truth. It has to be Jesus' truth. So sometimes we hear things like, and again, going to motivation. Sometimes we'll hear things like, well, nobody's growing in this church. People aren't being transformed in this church. It's obvious the Lord's not working here. Now, I will tell you that I love every single person that has moved on and grace and peace. But the challenge that we face is are we being fooled because of some offense that nobody knows about? And it's easier to duck and run than it is to just simply honor one another above ourselves. That's what Jesus would do. You see, so these words that are on the page don't stay in Palestine, circa 33 AD. This affects, and by the way, it's not just it's the church down there, it's the church over there, it's the church over there. We may have some of you here today because your established truth was threatened where you were prior. Let me just encourage you. Jesus threatens that in a good way. Jesus threatens that in a good way. Let's not be blinded by those things that would strip away what Jesus wants for us. Lastly, Establish your plans according to Jesus. Establish your plans according to Jesus. Let's look and see what happened. By the way, what's fascinating about this motivation is, you know, the priests want to hide behind nationalism. Did you catch that? That our nation will be destroyed. Do you know what happened to the Jewish nation in A.D. 70? <laughs> that's, that's well put, Sally. It wasn't good. They were destroyed. I encourage you at some point, if Israel's still standing in the next five years, get over there. Take a tour. Hear the history of how the Romans decimated the Jews. It wasn't pretty. And I believe a lot of that lies on the heads of these people in the narrative this morning. So here's their attempt to save the nation when in fact it destroys the nation. It destroys the nation. Sometimes we're blinded to the truth. So we need to establish our plans according to Jesus. Let's look at what Jesus did here. Pick it back up, verse 54. Ready? Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and, went, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another, as they stood in the temple, what do you think? That he will not come to the festival at all? Now, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. That's where we've gotten to at this point. Now, interesting enough, let me give you some background. We're in winter. And Jesus comes out of the Judean desert. He comes up to Jerusalem. Heals, has this encounter. And then his plan is to be what? Crucified. 
But all of this has to fit within Scripture and within prophecy. And this has to happen at Passover. Interestingly enough, it's about two and a half months prior to Passover. They're just entering into the winter season, and so he retreats. Jesus had a plan. He retreats to this town where modern-day Ramallah or Nablus would be. So he hides out a little bit because his time had not yet come. The Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the high priest had a plan as well. What was it? We're going to keep a weathered eye out for Jesus. And we're going to get the word out. We're going to put post-it notes all over the place. If you see him, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to tell us. Let us know. So Passover, now John goes to the issue of Passover. He skipped about two and a half months as to what's been happening. And he just fast forwards right into it. And here we are. This is the setup for the whole Passion Week. We're going to get into the triumphal entry. We're going to get into all of it coming up in the next month. So, what do we learn from this? Establish your plans according to Jesus. Jesus always had a plan. How many times did Jesus say, it is not yet my time? The disciples warned Him, Lord, if you go up to Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. He accomplishes what He needs to accomplish. It's a sign for many. Many still believe. And then what does He do? He retreats because He has a plan. His plan is according to the will of His what? His Father. How do you make plans? How do you make plans? We need a Christ-centered plan. We need it daily. We need it weekly. We need it monthly. We need it hourly. How do you do that? How do you integrate that? Let me help you. Maybe it's with your family. Many of us are so busy now, just our plan is to breathe when it comes to our family. Can I encourage you? Set aside some time and find a plan for your family. Set some goals. In premarital, I always encourage them, make up your own creed and decide how your adventure is going to look, right? Decide how your adventure is going to look. That requires a plan. And it needs to be a Christ-centered plan. What about work? Why do you do what you do? What, what, what do you do with that? And how do you make that Christ-centered? Get into the Word, get into the Scripture, and understand, number one, you're a disciple first of Christ. You know, when we greet one another, in, in America, we, we do it like this. Hey, how you doing? My name's Jeremy. Carl. Ah, nice to meet you, Carl. What do you... Do you know that in other civilizations, in other cultures, they say, so, who are you? Carl works for AT&T. Big shout out, right, Brad? Carl works for AT&T. And his position has changed on and off. But you know what? When I see Carl, I don't see an AT&T service person. I see a disciple of Christ who's working daily according to the plan of Jesus Christ in his life. That's what it means to have a plan with your work. Do you ever take your work and say, how can I use this for Christ? Bob's, Bob disappeared. Okay, most of you I know are saved, so it's not the rapture. Okay, so Bob leads a Bible study at his work in Spanish. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Y'all are going to walk up to Bob after service. If you know any Spanish at all, try it out and see how good his Spanish is. 
All I'm saying is this. If you're going to come up with a plan, it's probably going to be one where you feel like you can really succeed, isn't it? Bob felt compelled to reach out to people who needed Jesus at work. There's a huge language barrier. He didn't let it dissuade him because he felt called to it. Because he's a what? He's not a PMI executive. That's his title. He's not an adjuster of all things financial in the world. It's part of what he does. He's a disciple of Jesus Christ and every minute, every moment of his life counts because he will stand before his Lord and Savior one day. And according to Matthew 25, the Lord will say, what did you do with what I gave you? And Bob's going to say, I didn't just crunch numbers. I sat down on my lunch break and I tried to speak Spanish out of the Bible. Career. That's a big word in our culture, right? How do you determine? My son's trying to figure out what he wants to do with his career. I haven't had the heart to tell him that that career is supposed to change 3.7 times, according to statistics. My son's doing great because he puts Christ in that pattern. Relationships. Is Jesus a threat? To our relationships? I'll just move on from that one. This is a big bucket that I can't deal with. Worship. What about your worship? Is Jesus a threat to your worship? Somebody just shared with Janine at Life Group that they love, they're, they're encouraged by, and all the more after seeing that video today, but... Um, they're encouraged by the way my wife worships with her hands in the air. And, and it just really helps. But we have somebody that's a close family friend that came to worship with us one time and saw Janine start going like this. And they suddenly felt compelled and led by the Spirit to go to the bathroom for a very long time. <laughs> Folks, you don't have to raise your hands during worship to have appropriate and God-given worship. But if that's where you choose to go, then... Just make it the Lord's worship. Make it the Lord's worship. Hebrews 12, 1-4 is the pattern I want to give you in closing. When we make a plan, we establish our plans according to Jesus. In the text, there's a whole group that should have known better. But Jesus was a threat to them. And so what did they do? They dug in their heels. And they said, we're going to hold on to our power and our control at every cost. Even murdering somebody. We have a different plan. One that's constituted by our Lord and Savior. In Romans 12, 1-4, I'm sorry, Hebrews 12, 1-4 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us then mark out the race, or, or run the race that's marked out before us, laying aside every sin that entangles us, and fixing our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before Him, scorned the shame of the, Christ, uh, of the cross. Here's the pattern to set up your plan. Number one, surround yourself with people that are running well. Okay? Surround yourself with people that are running well. 
Don't live by some established set of rules that have just been passed on to you per se uh, because they're great traditions. Find those people that make a difference in life because they're all about Jesus' plan. They're all about Jesus' motivation. They're all about Jesus' truth. Re-establish those three areas of your life. And as you surround yourself with those people, you'll start to see change. You'll come in alignment with the Father's will. Secondly, Throw off or run that race. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great love, let's run the race marked out. Yeah. Understand that you have a race marked out for you. There is a plan already. You, there is a plan already. Ephesians 2.10 says specifically that He, before the creation of the world, has set forth good works for you and I to do. Philippians 1.3 says He has begun that good work and you will be what? Faithful to complete it. Get in line with the plan. How do you do that? Get into the Word. Get into prayer. Seek His face. And you keep seeking till you hear it. You're going to start hearing from Him. He's going to start reestablishing your truth, your motivation, and your plans. And when you're in that point, you're a humble person. You're a peaceful person. And you're a person of worship. You're untouchable. The third thing in there is this. Throw off those things that hinder you. Take some stock in your life and say, what keeps me from Jesus' plan? Whatever that is, look at it and do some serious dismemberment. Will you? I mean, get a visual... This is kind of, I don't know why it went this way in, in the past five years, but zombies are like the big thing now. Have you caught on to that? And, and, and oddly enough, that is how I picture us walking around with sin, anchoring our life. And oddly enough, that's kind of how I think Jesus pictures me walking around. When I choose to carry sin, I'm not going to do a zombie imitation. We're going to keep it classy up here. All right. But you've got the visual. Throw off those things that entangle you. Lastly, you've got to fix your eyes on the prize. Those who believed that day that were there with Lazarus saw Jesus. Those who went running to report to the high priest saw a job threat. Is Jesus a threat? Oh, you bet He is. Well, that's a really good threat. A really good threat. He'll resurrect your life. And you heard the testimony from Fernando this morning. That's the best illustration I can give you. Look at your own life as well. See how God has intersected with you. And ask yourself, number one, do I need to change some established truth in my life that is not Jesus' truth? Number two, do I need to change some established motivations that are keeping me from falling in line with who Christ is? And number three, do I need to change some established plans that keep me from following God's plan for my life? Let me close in prayer this morning. Father, it is a blessing to relay the power of Your Word. But for me, 
I'm just communicating. It is now you, through your Holy Spirit, that does the work within the hearts. That's the fantastic part of all this. Lord, I pray against the efforts of the enemy to distract us from whatever it is that you had this morning. Let us truly examine, let us take steps to talk about this with those around us. To let you reestablish our lives. Lord, let us never be like the Pharisees. But let us be like those that hungered for the truth. That when they saw it, they knew it. And when they knew it, they left behind the old ways and they sought after the new ways. We trust in You. And Lord, as we prepare to give the offering this morning, we ask that You would receive this, that You would use it to Your glory. You would multiply it. Thank You for blessing our church. Lord, I, I sincerely want to raise up to You an attitude of praise that You have done a work within the hearts of those that are here so that Your work can continue. I praise You for where we are financially. And Lord, You look upon the heart of the giver. And if what we can give brings joy, if what we give leads us to steps of faith through sacrifice, but deepens our relationship with You, then let us reestablish in that area as well. Thank You, Lord God. Let Your truth ring out. And let it continue to reestablish us in Your kingdom. To Your glory, Father. Amen.